it was a difficult time. An oppressive foreign empire ruled the land. There were factions among the people of God. Some believed that they should go along with the empire because that meant peace and prosperity for them, along with a certain amount of power. Others thought that they should fight to overthrow those pagan dogs. Still others believed that retreating from society was the best option. The biggest majority of folks simply tried to survive. People were looking for a savior, someone to make things right for them. This was the Jewish world at the time Matthew wrote his gospel. It was not very unlike the world we find ourselves in today. Many believe the government is oppressive. Some go along for the sake of power and influence, while others call for a revolution. Some try to keep themselves apart from everything that is going on, and many are simply trying to survive. Many of those in these groups would call themselves Christians, just as those in the first century called themselves the people of God. It was in this world that Matthew wrote his account of Jesus' life and work. Matthew's aim was to show Jesus as the continuation of the story of the Old Testament. His gospel presents Jesus as the Messiah, as a new Moses, and as Emmanuel, God with us. The first part of chapter 1 gives us the genealogy of Jesus, showing how he is both a descendant of Abraham and a descendant of King David. The rest of chapter 1 and chapter 2 tell of his birth in fulfillment of the prophecy that stated that he would be God with us. Chapters 4 through 7 present Jesus as the new Moses, a new teacher. In chapter 4, Jesus is tempted in the desert for 40 days, just as Moses was in the desert for 40 years. After this, Jesus began his work, proclaiming that people needed to repent, to change their way of thinking and living, because the kingdom of heaven had come. Chapters 5 through 7 are Jesus teaching how to live in God's kingdom. That teaching is what is called the Sermon on the Mount, or as we are calling it, the Kingdom Manifesto. Why study the Sermon on the Mount? Well, we live in an upside-down world, a world that follows every sort of would-be king, every pretender to the throne that belongs to Jesus. Even those who claim to follow Jesus are sometimes seduced by the siren song of those who promise power, influence, wealth, or ease. We seem to have lost the power of such descriptions of Jesus Christ as Prince of Life, Lord of Glory, abundant life, as well as the phrase, the inexhaustible riches of Christ. We have come to see them as something for the future when we get to heaven. Along with this, we have failed to understand Jesus and his words as real, as something to guide our lives. Our good news has become something that has little impact on how we live in our day to day. Even our teaching and discipleship has become more sin management than anything else. A number of polls in recent years have found that a large number of self-professed Christians live no differently than their non-Christian neighbors. We have seen many emphasize political or social action as the primary ways to serve God, confusing his kingdom with the kingdoms of this world.
When we look at the Bible, we can see that the overarching story is that of God calling out a holy people, a people that are set apart for him. These are called to be different from those around them and to live in obedience to God. Their vocation is to live true to their identity. The first people God called out to be his were the Jews. They were to be the people of God. The Old Testament records how many of them failed. Jesus came and took the consequences of sin on himself and broke its power. God continues to call the people out to be his and to be devoted to him. We who call ourselves Christians are those people. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, here and now. And according to the Great Commission, we are to be representatives or ambassadors of this kingdom. We are told to make disciples of Jesus and teach them everything he taught. We are not called to make converts who simply say a prayer and then go on with their lives. The New Testament is not divided into the story of Jesus and the important teaching in the epistles. And I'm afraid that sometimes we have been so afraid of the idea that Jesus was a good teacher that we have put the emphasis on his death and resurrection at the expense of what he taught. Paul and the other apostles who wrote the letters in the New Testament weren't teaching anything different than what Jesus was teaching. Jesus taught about his kingdom and how to live in it, while the apostles taught how it shakes out in the day-to-day. When Jesus began his work, he came proclaiming that people should repent because the kingdom of heaven is here. The Greek word metanoia, translated repentance, means a change in one's way of thinking that leads to a change in action and behavior. Jesus was telling people to change their way of thinking about how to live and then begin to live out that new way of thinking. The Sermon on the Mount describes what life and community will look like in God's kingdom. Just like God told the Israelites that they were not to be like the people around them, Jesus tells us in chapter 6, verse 8, that we are not to be like those who aren't part of his kingdom. What is the Sermon on the Mount? Well, it's also been called the Discourse on the Mount. It wasn't a sermon like most of us are used to. Jesus didn't stand behind a lectern and lecture the people in either an emotional or an intellectual manner. He taught the people in the manner of the rabbis of that day. Matthew 5.1 tells us that Jesus sat down to teach those who were gathered. Now, some have seen the sermon as something that applies only to the clergy. This was popular in medieval times. Some, like Luther, have seen it as an impossible demand, like the law of Moses. The Anabaptists tried to literally apply the teachings to their lives. There is the social gospel view that was popular in the early 20th century. Some say that it is a view of what life will be like in a future dispensation, 
in the millennial kingdom. Jesus is setting forth a countercultural way of living, taking what we normally think as normal and turning it on its head. What he teaches is contrasted with what the world says. As we look at the Beatitudes, you will notice that they are the opposite of what people think about being blessed. Jesus is also giving us a way of living that goes above and beyond what the religious leaders of his day practiced. He's not giving a new law, though. It's not just a set of commands to follow. It is the rule of God being extended through us into the world. When we accept God's gift, he comes to act in us as we rely on him. C.S. Lewis wrote that faith is not hearing what Christ said and trying to carry it out. The real Son of God is at your side. He is beginning to turn you into the same kind of thing as himself. He is beginning, so to speak, to inject his kind of life and thought, his Zoe life, into you, beginning to turn the tin soldier into a live man. The part of you that does not like it is the part that is still tin. And it is the Holy Spirit that gives us the ability and the power to carry out what Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount. Martin Lloyd-Jones said that the Sermon on the Mount is nothing but a great and grand elaboration of what our Lord called his new commandment. His new commandment was that we love one another even as he loved us. The Sermon on the Mount is nothing but a grand elaboration of that. If we are Christ's, and our Lord has meant that word for us, that we should love one another even as he loved us, here we are shown how to do it. Now this sermon can be divided into 16 or 17 sections. The first 16 verses of chapter 5 describe characteristics of those who are in the kingdom. Verses 3 through 12 comprise what is known as the Beatitudes. In verses 13 to 16, Jesus describes kingdom people as salt and light. He speaks of the law and the kingdom's relation to it in verses 17 through 20. Other topics in chapter 5 are murder, adultery, divorce, oaths, retaliation, and love for enemies. In chapter 6, Jesus gets into religious observances, such as giving to the needy, prayer, and fasting. The chapter continues with teaching about treasure and worry. Chapter 7 begins with teaching on judging others, continues with a section on asking, seeking, and knocking, which I believe is usually taken way out of context. Jesus continues with teaching about entering the kingdom, true and false teachers, and true and false disciples. The sermon wraps up with Jesus talking about wise and foolish builders and the consequences of their actions. 
Chapter 7 concludes with the people's amazement at what they just heard. Because Jesus taught as one who had authority, not like the teachers of the law. Jesus said, you have heard it said, but I say unto you. He didn't quote other rabbis, other teachers like the teachers of the law did. He spoke with his God-given authority. Now this sermon doesn't take very long to read. As we go through our study, it would be helpful if we would all read it through at least every week. Read it slowly. Let the word sink into your heart. Ask the Spirit to show you how you can follow this. If your reading raises questions, well, they hopefully will be answered as we go through the passage. It's our desire at Hill City that we study our king's teaching on what life in his kingdom should look like and learn to live more and more in a way that shows the world around us that there is a real king, that his kingdom has begun, and that there is a better way to live, a better way to be human. We want all of us to grow deeper in our love and devotion to our king and our love for one another as he shapes us into his likeness.